Let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and thank you and seek you. Guide us as we look at the, your word, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Out of the 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes, after this, we start getting a little more positive from Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Um, but the main point of this whole book is that without God, life is worthless. And, you know, everybody can remember back when they were trying to live without God, probably, and they realized that life was empty. And today, we're going to look at Solomon saying that long life and family are worthless if that's all that your hope is in. Uh, That's not going to help you. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wants nothing... For his soul, of all that he desires, yet God gives him not the power to eat thereof, but a stranger eats it, it is vanity, and it is evil disease. If a man beget a hundred children, and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, and also that he have no burial, I say, not an untimely birth, I say, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity, and departs in darkness, and his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he lives a thousand years told, yet hath he seen no good. Do not all go to one place. All that labor of a man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not full. For what hath the wise more than the fool? What hath the poor that knows to walk before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the desires, so that it also is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which has been named already, and that is known that that it is man, neither may he contend with him that is mightier than he. Seeing that there are many things that increase vanity, what is man the better? For who knows what is good for man in this life, all the days of his vain life, which he spends as a shadow, for who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun? So here Solomon says, we start out with, I have seen something under the sun, and we've already defined when he says, I have seen something under the sun, he is talking about on this world without God. And he said, he's seen a terrible problem, and that's somebody who gets everything they want, and then leave it to somebody else. And, you know, how many people do we read about? Probably we may even know somebody who seemed to get everything they wanted, and they died. You know, many times our, our rock stars, our sports athletes, they seem to get everything they want. They get the fame, the fortune, and die early. Sometimes by suicide, sometimes not, but they get it. And Solomon says, when somebody's like that, that's an ultimate vanity. They don't even, they don't even get to see the lostness of what they, they found. Solomon says, I had all that stuff and I didn't see it. He goes, these people get there and then if they die early, that's a terrible thing. Or they lose it. How many times do people lose? They get, they get everything they think and then they lose everything. And this is something that happens to people. that they, Somebody else gets to have all the stuff they had because they get wrapped up. And sometimes it's getting wrapped up in drugs and alcohol and sin and, t- and topples their kingdom over. And he says, that's a terrible thing. And then he goes on 
And he says, but if a man have a hundred children and live many years, and he goes on to say a thousand years, but isn't fulfilled, it's vanity. And there are a lot of people who go, well, as long as I have a good family, a big family, and a long life, I'll be happy. Well, if you're not happy and you're not content with God, all a long life does is make you miserable for a lot longer time. Okay, and we've seen that. Uh, we all have probably relatives that are that way. They're, they're getting old and they're griping and complaining. Nothing is good. They're not happy. If you have lots of children, 100 children, I wouldn't want to have 100 children, but he says you have lots of children. You think, I'm going to be very happy if I had children. Well, almost everybody in this room is old enough to be a grandparent and knows that their children bring them as much misery as they bring joy and maybe even more misery than joy because you watch them make bad decisions. No matter how well you raise them, no matter how much you've instructed them, they make the same decisions we make, bad ones. <laughs> you know, and we don't do much better even in our old age. You know, we still make bad decisions and, and have to suffer the consequences for that in our kids. And we watch our kids, we try to tell our kids, don't make all the bad decisions. I go, well, you just don't want me to have fun. No, I don't want you to have the pain that I went through. You, know, you may think it's fun. I thought it would, might be fun, and I found out that it wasn't. I don't want you to go through it. And unfortunately, most of us all need to learn the hard way. Very few of us learn by other people's mistakes because what do we think? Well, I won't make the same mistakes they made. You know, I can do it. I can, I can, I can do it. I can have fun. I can, I can enjoy it. I won't make the same mistakes they do, and then we'll find ourselves exactly where they were at. And seeing it over and over. I will never do the things my parents did. And we probably said the same thing. Something we really didn't like our parents doing. And what do we find ourselves doing? The same exact thing. And why? Because it's human nature. I'm, I'm not going to fall into the same trap. And yet I fall into it. We are sinful at the core of our being. And that's something that goes contrary to what our world is telling us today. Our world is telling us we're all basically good people. You know, we're all good people. We, we, we are trained to be bad. Well, you know what? I've seen a lot of kids in my lifetime. Had, Lynn and I had four kids of our own, and I, and I don't remember us ever teaching any of our kids to be bad. They just did it automatically. And everybody else knows your kids were bad automatically. Your, your grandkids, as much as you love them, are bad automatically. <laughs> You know, the only thing with grandkids, we can give them back to their parents. Say, so you take care of them. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, we can almost ignore their badness because they're our grandkids. We only have them for short periods of time. We just give them back to their parents and say, okay, you get, to, you get to beat it out of them. I get to be nice to them and spoil them. But, you know, we are evil. Jeremiah tells us that the innermost recesses of our heart have iniquity in them. And the sad thing is the more God works out of our heart, the more we see how evil our heart is is. Been walking with him for a mere 49 years and it just seems like every time I get something out there's something else sitting there behind it. And something else behind that. And then something else behind that. And it's like God, you know, are we almost done yet? And the answer is no, not until I get to heaven. When I get to heaven he'll glorify me and I will be perfect. But until then there's a lot of work. And how many people try to say, and, I, and when you witness to people who go, well, what do, you, do you think you'll go to heaven? Well, I'm hoping to be good enough. You won't be. Because God doesn't say you're good enough. He says that you're not bad enough. 
which means that you have never sinned because just one sin sends us to hell. And we've got to keep that in mind. God's first standard is perfection. And there's not a one of us who's perfect. We're born imperfect. We are born imperfect. We sin not because we are sinners. We, uh, we, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are born sinners. And this is something we need to always understand. There's nothing I can do to go to heaven. It's all Jesus Christ's work that, that allows it. And this is where Solomon is going to start getting into after these chapters to say, we need God. And at the very end of this, he says, you know, at the very end of this, he says, let us consider the end of this whole matter. Love God, keep his commandments. That's all that is life about. Love God, keep his commandments. We turn our life over to him and he changes who we are. But he's going, you know, live a thousand years from not content, misery. Have lots of kids, misery. Solomon might have had hundreds of kids because he had lots of wives. He might, if he even had one, one kid per wife, he's in trouble. 300 kids. Uh, and that's not even counting his concubines. So he could have had a lot of kids just having one with each woman. So he knows what he's talking about. Lots of kids, lots, lots of long life. You know, he's going to live, not a thousand years, but he's going to live to an old age he's going to go it's all vanity without God everything is vanity and what happens is we need to get down to where we recognize that without God it's vain and this is why when we talk to people so many times I see Christians say well I will talk to this person when they kind of get their life put together that's the worst time to be trying to talk to somebody because then they're going to be self-righteous Look how good I am. God, I deserve to go to heaven because I've, I've gotten rid of a lot of my stuff. You know, when did we recognize that we were sinners? Usually when we were in the bottom of something and depressed and unhappy. And then all of a sudden, that's when the gospel comes in and says, God is the answer. God is the answer. Jesus is the answer to our contentment issue. If you are uncontent with your life, turn it over to God. God will give us joy. He will give us peace. And the greatest news is to walk with him. I love walking on this world. I'm going to look forward to heaven, walking in heaven a lot more than this world. But he's in my heart. I know he's with me and he's given me a joy and a peace that no matter what happens, I can be peaceful and joyful. And that's a gift for all of us as Christians. I love going in. There, there's one guy, he, I, I irritate him every time I see him because I'm always smiling. Having, Are you having a good day today? And I know he's not. I know that he is not having a good day. Because I have never in three and a half years seen him have a good day. I could not live that way. It would drive me nuts. I would be insane if I never had a good day. But as I tell everybody there, because God is in my life and he's in control, I have determined that I am going to have a good day. God, you're in control. I don't know what you're going to send my way, but you're in control and I'm going to enjoy this day. Is that our attitude? Because if you really truly understand that God is in control of your day, the only thing that's going to come your way is what he allows. Now, if I mess up and I cause all kinds of problems, that's my problem, but God still allowed the consequences to come my way. 
And he's promised that all things are going to work together for good, and he's going to turn something out of it. I may have a miserable physical time. I may have a miserable, miserable emotional turmoil in my head, but I know that God's in control. And this is so important for us to understand. Solomon is saying, if you think, you know, all these previous chapters, you think wealth is going to do it, you think fame is going to do it, you think money is going to do it, you, you think that having lots of friends, long life, you, having every building in the town named after you is going to do it. He goes, none of those are going to satisfy. None of it. He, think, he, goes, he, he goes, you think alcohol is going to do it, you think drugs are going to do it. Nothing will bring ultimate contentment. Now, they might all bring short-term contentment. You might be happy for a little bit of time. When you buy your brand new house that you, that you had built to your perfect spec uh, specifications, you probably enjoy it for a little while until the, until the paint gets scratched and the floor gets scratched and the people wear out your carpet and the appliances start going down. You're going, why did I ever get into this thing? Or you buy that brand new car that you've been dreaming of, you've really wanted, it's a perfect car, it's the right color, all the accessories that you want, and you come out of the store and somebody's put a big scratch in it. And all of a sudden you're going, what is this? Things can bring us pleasure for a season. Sin brings pleasure for a season, and if it didn't, we wouldn't do it. So we all know that sin brings pleasure. When we first commit the sin, we enjoy what we are doing until we suffer the consequence. And then we realize, oh, this wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it to do whatever that sin might be. The person drinking thinks they're having a wonderful time when they're forgetting all their problems until they wake up the next morning and know that they have more problems. And then the problems they were trying to forget are still there, and now they've got the hangover, and then what a loss of money and all the other things that come along with drinking, and all of a sudden they get more problems to deal with. We have a big problem out there. What are we going to do? Are we going to depend on God? Are we going to find our contentment in him? He goes, he's seen this evil thing. He goes, I live a thousand years. He goes, the labor of a man is for his mouth, and his appetite is not filled. In verse 7, he goes, we do all this work to fill. You know, we, we go out to work so we can have our fill. And appetite here is really soul, my desires of my soul. He says, it will never be full. And we all know that. You know, God, just a little bit more money and I'm going to be happy. A little more fame and I'm going to be happy. A little more obedience for my kids and I'm going to be happy. You know, a little, a little more joy and I'm going to be all happy. And God says, just be content in me. Be content in God because that is where it is all coming from. You know, because he says the poor labor and are happy. If they can have contentment, they'll be happy. Paul said, I have learned to be content with much and with little. And Paul says, God, whatever you give me, I'm going to be content. Do we find our contentment in whatever God gives us? Or we look around and say, oh, I've lost everything. I'm, I'm, I'm destitute in, in life. You know, stock market crash way back in the, in, at the end of the 20s, and everybody's committing suicide because all of a sudden they're penniless. Not worth living for. Without money, it's not worth living. What a terrible desire, uh, life that is, to be so dependent on stuff. You know, well, God, I'm really happy. I've got all the stuff I want, and you come back, and your house is burnt down. Oh, God, what am I going to do now? now? Now I'm totally sad. I have nothing. You have your life. You still have God. Hopefully you have your family. 
what is our contentment in? Is my contentment in God or is it in the stuff that I have? And I'm including the stuff, fame and fortune and, and people's attitudes. I, have, I know some people that if something goes wrong and their reputation is harmed in even the smallest amount, they go, they freak out. And then they ruin their reputation more by freaking out, trying to protect their reputation. You know, it's kind of a funny thing. You watch somebody who, whose reputation's on the line and they go ballistic and yell at everybody and attack everybody and do more damage to their reputation than the lie or the rumor ever did to them. What is important to us? Is, our, is what we're living for God or something that affects me? My reputation, my wealth, my belongings, my whatever. Or am I looking to God and saying, God, I want you lifted up. I've shared with you I love this job because my job is to build up God's kingdom no matter what. Uh, our church will get built as I build God's kingdom, but my job is not to build Chloride Baptist Church. My job is to build God's kingdom. And as I build his kingdom, he'll take care of his church. And over the years, we've seen more people come and go through here. They, they come in broken, they get healed, they get growing, and they move on. And if that's all God wants us to do, then I praise God. God, that's our job. That's what we're going to do. Now, I, would, I kind of like, personally, I'd like them to stay here and have the church grow, but I want to do what God wants. I want to see what God wants, and I want to see his kingdom grow, because if they go out and help somewhere else, praise God. His kingdom grows. We reach the world. Who knows what's going on around the world through our messages? I don't. We never get to hear from anybody. Nobody sends us any emails to tell us what's going on, but praise God. He's doing something. Thousands of people listen. You know, we have a very large church. We just don't know who they are, people. <laughs> you know, we just don't know who, who all these brothers and sisters are that are listening to these messages. You know, we have a more, more outside than we have in, in, in town even. If we had everybody in town, we're still more outside listening. So, no, not quite that large. <laughs> but it says, better in the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desires of the soul. What he's saying is quit daydreaming and thinking about the stuff you don't have. Better what you have in your hand. You know, our, our proverb would go, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And that's what he's saying. It's quit dreaming about everything you don't have. How miserable do we make ourselves sometimes by thinking about all the stuff I don't have? God, I don't have five houses. Thank God I don't have five houses. <laughs> You know, uh, God, I, I only have two cars, you know. I don't know why I would need three. I've, I've seen people with two people in the house with four or five cars. You know, is that, you know, what they want? Uh, obviously. Is that where they're taking their pleasure? I don't know. You know. But we look at this and he's saying, better is what you have than daydreaming about all that you don't have. I've seen people who are always looking at what they don't have. And some of them are doing pretty well off if they would just start concentrating on what they have. You know, I've got all this stuff. I'm being blessed by God. You know, what's our greatest blessing? That God lets us live another day to minister for him? You know, actually, that's the second best blessing. It's the first best that he could take us home. You know, it would be wonderful to die in your sleep and be in heaven. Really. The next best blessing is he lets us get up the next morning and serve him. Is that our attitude when we get up in the morning? Are we asking God, God, show me how I can serve you today? 
Or is our attitude, well, God, I've got to muddle through another day. I'm just going to shuffle through and not do anything. We have an attitude that we need to work on. God, what is it you want me to do today for you? If you start living that way, life gets exciting. God has all kinds of exciting people for you to meet, exciting people for you to talk to, people for you to minister to. And I'm not the world's greatest at it. I, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I don't like to talk to people. I really have to start my day and say, God, what, who do you want me to talk to today? I find it easy to get in front of a group because that's easy. I've already planned to be here. It's easy for me to give what God fills my mouth with and I've studied for, but to talk one-on-one -on -one with people, that's a tough thing for me. And yet I want my day to start. God, who am I going to minister to today? God, give me one. Give me at least one. And working out at the prison, I usually get at least one to minister to. But even when I'm not working, God gives me somebody to minister to. Because I'm actually asking him, God, who? Part of my life starts each day. God, help me. Fill my mouth. Fill my mouth. Show me who I get to speak to today. And I've heard the testimonies of different people in this church that are talking about all the different people that cross your paths. Think about this. Unless you are staying home in your own room all day long, you're going to meet somebody. <laughs> and even if you're staying home all day long, you might just get a phone call once in a while. <laughs> that Maybe that's your person that you're supposed to minister to. It could be another Christian who just needs an encouraging word. It doesn't have to be a lost person that you're talking to. It could be a Christian that just needs to hear God loves you. Or I'll pray for you. Or let me pray with you. Or let me pray for you. you know, what are we doing? How do we minister? Are we just sitting back saying, oh, well, God, uh, you know, if, if you put the right person in my path while I'm uh, doing my own business, I'll, I'll do something. And if that's your attitude, you're going to miss the person. You're going to miss them altogether. You will never see that person that needs ministry to. You'll be like me on some days where I get three hours after I met the person go, I should have ministered to this person. I should have said this. I should have said that. Why I try to stay focused is so that I can minister to that person and be able to just encourage, if nothing else. Just encourage. Because it is so easy to start thinking about what we don't have. And the more we think about what I don't have, the more miserable I'm going to be. You know, whatever, whatever it is that you might think about that I don't have, that you don't have, you're going to be, you'll be miserable thinking about what you don't have. Yeah. And I, I would say, if you have trouble thinking about what you don't have, start memorizing the song, Count Your Blessings. <laughs> and start counting your blessings. Count your blessings and see what God is doing in your life. You got up in the morning. That's a, at least a second class blessing. You know, the negative, you know, the world will tell you, well, I'm on this side of the dirt. I woke up. You know, I like to have fun with those guys. Well, you know, I almost wish I was on the other side of the dirt so I'd be in heaven. Just to, just to freak them out. You know, but while God's here, and I understand when Paul said, I'm torn betwixt the two, my desire to go to heaven, which is better for me, and my desire to remain here, which is better for you. If we're on this side of the dirt... God's got a reason for us to be here to minister to somebody. Our question is, God, who is it you want me to minister to? How, who is it that you want me to minister to? For many of us, we've got unsaved people in our family 
Do we ever give them the gospel? Do we ever give our family the gospel? Do we give our friends the gospel? Who are we talking to? You know, we brought this up at the business meeting. One of my big concerns for our church is we're reaching the world. We're on the internet. We give to the to the to the uh, all the international mission mission board for the Southern Baptist. We give to the state for the state missions and North American missions. We give to the association for the association work. And I think at times, what would be the impact if this church was to disappear from chloride? How many people in this town would care? Now, I know everybody sitting in this room would care. You know, the, the 20, 20 to 25 people that sit in this room would care. But outside of the people sitting in this, this room, would they know that the church was gone? Would they even care? How much impact do we as individuals have talking to people, ministering to people? And there may be more than I realize. I mean, and I'm asking God to show me, and I really have been praying a lot. What impact do we have locally? You know, we're reaching Judea, uh, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, but we kind of forgot Jerusalem from what I can see. And we may have more greater impact than I really understand and know, and I'm asking God to show me that, but I've been praying for that. Our Jerusalem, how can we impact this town? And I realize we're a small church. You know, we, there's a lot of things I'd love to see us do, but we're not big enough to do some of the really big ideas. But what can we do? How can we reach? A lot of it's going to be sharing our lives with people from the church, being encouraged to go out, bringing people in, this church has been here a long time, a long time. And I don't know about the far back past history, how much impact the church had in the past. I don't know. It's beyond my days. My fear is that it hasn't had a lot of impact over the years because it's so small. But you know, God can do great things with small, with small things. We never know what he can do, and I expect great things. This, for this next year, the rest of this year and next year, I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in this town through our church. What that's going to be, I don't know yet. Pray with us. If you have ideas, let us know, because we need to reach this town, whatever that might mean. Make this church, so that if this church was to disappear, everybody going, oh, wow, what happened to that church? We, you know, we miss it. It had an impact. And I know we've had impact. Believe me, I understand we've had impact. I've been here seven years, and I know the spiritual oppression is not as heavy on this town as it was seven years ago. We are having some impact because we're changing lives of everybody here. I want to see us do more. I want to see us do great things. I want to see us really moving out. And that might mean a revival. It might mean block party. I don't know fully what it's going to mean. But I want to see God reach this community in a way that changes the town. Changes the town, brings unity to the town, grows the, grows the spiritual light in this town and the rest of the county. But I wanted to start here. That's why we're praying for salvations. That's why we're praying for all these things to happen because we need to see something happen. Moving us out beyond the walls of this church so that we have impact on more than just 20 to 30 people directly that we have impact that if this church disappeared, people going, oh, we missed that. We missed that group of crazy people that didn't believe the way we did. And they're always going to think we're crazy. If we're followers of Christ, they're going to think we're crazy. We don't drink. We don't do all the things they do. We don't go out and, and commit all the sins that they do. 
and they will look at us and say, well, you guys are just a bunch of righteous hypocrites. Well, hypocrites probably righteous. I don't know about. <laughs> but <laughs> we're, we're, we're taking pleasure in God. We're taking pleasure in God. And the one thing about walking with God, the world's going to look at us as hypocrites because we are going to sin. We are going to sin, but we need to be showing them God's love, his mercy, his grace. My, our job is not to pound a bunch of laws on people and rules on people. Our job is to bring them before the throne of grace so that they can come to Christ. He can indwell them and change their life. Because if he can come inside, he'll change them. And I've enjoyed watching various people get saved in this town and come here for a while and then move on. You know, and it's been fun. I want to see more. I want to see this whole town get saved. What would it be like if this whole town got saved? I don't know that they would all come to our church, but you know, what if this whole town got saved? You know, and then spread out amongst different churches. Even you know, We'd get a number of them to come here, I know, because we're the local church, but even if they went other places, if this whole town got saved, it would be a different town completely. It, that is what I'm really praying for. I don't think we'll ever get the whole town. <laughs> It would be nice. I, I would settle for about 80, 90 percent of the town. But you know, what change would there be if the town was a godly town? Our country started on Christian principles. Not everybody was a Christian in, the, in our early years. But when people came to America, they go, this is a righteous country. These people are good people that are righteous. What would it be like if our town was a good town? Not a perfect town, but a town where people generally cared for each other, generally loved one another, and then moved out and did outreach for God. I'm going to challenge us. Let's be praying for that. Let's pray for this church to walk out these four doors and minister. See lives changed. I'm looking forward to watching what God is going to do. I don't believe he's put it on my heart to not do it. I don't know yet what form it's going to take. But I'm looking forward to what is going to happen in our town as we watch God move, as we watch his spirit come upon this town and, and save people and get them totally changed. You know, during the Second Great Awakening, bars and brothels closed, not because of laws, not because of anything else, but because too many people got saved in the towns for them to stay open. They closed down everything because too many people were getting saved. Nobody was going to them. The bars were becoming churches. <laughs> the brothels became churches. You know, it was all these things going on because God had changed the hearts of people. I would love to see a revival starting here in Chloride sweep across the United States would even be even greater. But what is God going to do? It starts with us. It starts with us getting our heart right before God and saying, God, indwell me and open my eyes to see who I should be speaking to. Who should I speak to? Who should I invite? You know, have some time with the people. You know, we need to be taking people and just getting them into God's word, discipling them, building them up. How did I get started in my walk with God? I got discipled. Early on, I started getting into a Bible study. And then I got discipled, and my discipleship was actually my dad, 24-7, <laughs> having somebody there disciple. But you know, it doesn't need to be 24-7. It can be just meeting with somebody once a week. 
helping them get on the right path with God, helping them start with the right attitude, helping them learn to follow Christ. Pray for each other. Let's see God move in our town. And that's my encouragement for us today as we look at this. We're getting ready to transition from all of his negatives. And it's an amazing thing. When you start talking about to people about God, they're always wanting something other than God. If they're not following God, well, if I just had a little more money, if I just had a little more fame, if I just had a little more, you know, whatever, they don't realize it's never going to be enough. Without God, it is not enough. God put an infinite hole in our heart, and only an infinite God can fill that infinite hole. And we can keep piling stuff in it all we want. We can keep piling sin in it all we want. It will never be filled without God. We need to put him first in our life, and then everything else falls into place. Will we be 100% content? No, we still have to keep following God. We still need to be thinking about God. We still need to be putting him first, always. But we learn contentment. Contentment in him and having him in our life in a relationship. You know, Christianity is, is not a religion. It's not a whole bunch of rules that I just have to follow. If I follow these 28 rules, I'm going to make it to heaven. Nope. It's you're in a relationship with the God of the universe. And when you're in a relationship with the God of the universe, there's nothing better. There really is not anything better than being in that relationship with him. And you're like, wow, God, you, you, you seem to make things work out just right. Everything looked like it was going terrible. Now look at this. It's, I see what was going on. He promises that all things work together for good. And I have never been disappointed yet. There's things I may not understand completely why, but he's, the things he's allowed me to see, I, they've all worked out for good. And I know when I get to heaven, he'll be able to show me, this is why you went through this. This is why you went through this. This is why you went through this. This person was watching you as you stood for me and they got saved because of what you went through. Do you realize that a lot of the bad stuff you go through, a lot of it's because your fault. <laughs> you, you're getting the consequences for, your, for it. But when we follow God, People look at the bad things we're going through, and when we can stay content, we can stay focused on God, it makes an impact on their life. And they might just turn to Christ and become saved because you went through a hard time. What, what would it be worth? If, if somebody gets saved, what would you go through if, if you knew somebody was going to get saved because of what you went through? I'd go through anything. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, those martyrs died very terrible deaths in many cases. And people got saved because of their embracing of death for Christ. What would you be willing to pay if you knew somebody would go get saved? Keep that in mind. Because what you're going through may be just to get somebody saved. Be content. Paul said, you know, he learned to be content in all of those light afflictions that he had. You know, and Paul, when he was talking about light afflictions, was talking about the scourgings that he went through, all the prisons he had been thrown into, the shipwrecks that, he, that he'd been gone through, the viper biting him on the, on the hand, being chased out of every, just about every city that he went into, being attacked by everybody that he, everywhere that he went. And he said, all these light afflictions are nothing compared to heaven. What is our focus on? Are we focused on heaven? If we're focused on heaven, it doesn't matter what we go through on earth. When we get to heaven, it'll be, all right, God, I'm here. Thank you. What was the blessings that you put me through? How many people will be coming to you when you get to heaven and saying, 
I'm here because you did this. I'm here because you gave to the offering. I'm here because you prayed. I'm here because whatever reason it is. You have more impact. If you're praying and serving God, you have more impact than you're ever going to be aware of. All these gifts we give to Lottie Moon and to Annie Armstrong and to all these, the gifts you guys that help keep the ministry on the internet. We all have impact on that. I get the pleasure. I get to be the voice they hear. But you know, everybody giving to the church is what keeps it on the, on the, on the internet. Pays the bill every year for the internet. You know, without everybody in this church, we wouldn't have a ministry reaching the world. And if anybody is getting saved anywhere in the world, we all have an impact on that. We're going to get to heaven and somebody's going to go, you know, I listened, I listened. You know, I'm here because you, you helped pay for a, a, a missionary to be in my country. And I'm here because of that missionary. We are going to get blessings in heaven that we don't even know. We need to stand for God and be content with what he gives us. Lord, we just thank you for today. Lord, help us all to take this challenge, to reach out, to convert our hearts more to you. And Lord, we just ask each person in this room and listening to pray a prayer right now. Lord, help me live more for you. Help me find an attitude of looking for people to minister to and open my mouth and fill it when they're there. And Lord, if there's anybody who doesn't know you listening to this message online or even in this room, Lord, we ask that you commit, convict them now that they're a sinner, that they need you, and that they will just admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. Come into my life and save me and make me yours. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.